Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about the facts, the fun and the fiction of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have news stories, including the federal government's commitment to infrastructure, designing the Hilux, Volvo XC40, and the Hummer is back next year. Alan Zervis and I take a more detailed look at the small Volvo XC40 SUV. The latest Toyota Hilux had input into its design from Australia. We talked to Toyota's manager of product design, Peter Elliott. And in quirky news, Brian Smith and I discuss the psychologically damaging situation of the lady whose photo licence was delivered in the mail and all it showed was an empty chair. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's get the program rolling first with the news. The 2020-21 federal government budget has produced some additional funds for infrastructure, bringing the total spend to $14 billion. A significant number of the projects are in the regional and rural areas, including the Coffs Harbour Bypass, upgrades to the Shepparton and Warrenbool rail lines in Victoria, the Singleton Bypass in New South Wales, and additional funds for the freight network in Western Australia. There are also some urban projects, including the main South Road duplication in South Australia and the Tasman Bridge upgrade. There's also a big focus on road safety with a $2 billion program. These funds will deliver small-scale road safety projects to provide short-term economic stimulus. This coincides with the addition of a high-priority initiative for regional road network safety improvements to the infrastructure priority list, which happened back in February 2019. The budget also includes $1.2 billion to employ 100,000 new apprentices and trainees. The vehicle sales figures from VFAC show that for September, the industry is still struggling, with sales down 22% compared to 2019. Victoria is down 58%, although the potential for the easing of some restrictions is seen as a positive sign. Tasmania is also on average with a decline of 22%, but the other states are all well below the average figure. Three states have shown growth for the month over last year. That's the Northern Territory, the ACT and Western Australia. But there has been some significant growth in the three top-selling cars. Number one is the Ford Ranger Ute, up 20%. Number two is the Toyota Hilux, up 7%. With a new Hilux on the market, Toyota will be hoping for better things against the opposition. In third place is the Toyota RAV4, up a whopping 42%. The rest of the top 10 cars are all in decline. SUVs, people movers and utes used to look very upright, but now the design trend is to emphasise more width. The Audi Q8 large SUV is a good example, but what about utes? Peter Elliott is the Manager of Product Design for Toyota Australia, and he headed Australia's contribution to the look of the latest upgrade that was launched in August. 
I suppose consciously or subconsciously that starts to bring, conjure images or, or a belief around the vehicle looking very stable and looking like it's um, very sure-footed and looking like it's it's really sitting on its wheels very well. In, in the design business, we talk about stance a lot. And by stance, we mean that if it, the vehicle's got a good stance, if the design's got a good stance, that the wheels are sitting in the right position in relation to the rest of the proportions of the vehicle. And it looks like it's not going to fall over easily. Or as it goes round to the corner, it's going to look like it's very stable and very connected to the road. Typically, ordinary hybrid vehicles are a petrol engine with some help from an electric motor whose batteries are charged by the petrol engine or, when slowing down, using regenerative braking. But Volvo, like a few other manufacturers, has gone the next step with its XC40 small SUV by offering a plug-in hybrid variant. The plug-in system allows a vehicle to use only batteries for about 40 kilometres. This means that you can do a lot of your local short trips on electric drive without producing local pollution. The 1.5-litre three-cylinder turbo petrol engine can come into play under heavy acceleration and when the battery runs low. You don't have to charge it at all, but of course, you will not get the fuel economy benefits if you don't. The base model non-hybrid is listed at $47,000, but the the top-of-the-line plug-in hybrid is $65,000, and to both figures you must add on-road costs. Ten years ago, GMC stopped making Hummers, but they are now about to bring back the brand with the ultimate contradiction. It will be an all-electric vehicle. And if it's not enough mixing the rough-and-tumble image with an environmentally friendliness, they will show the vehicle for the first time at the first game of the World Series on October the 20th. The car will have 756 kilowatts of power and 15,600 newton metres of torque and accelerate from 0 to 100 in 3 seconds. And it features crab mode, which allows the vehicle to move diagonally through four-wheel steering. It has an open-air design, so you can remove the four roof panels and front T-bar to let the sun in. There are already marketing teaser videos using expressions such as the world's first all-electric super truck. They will start building them in late 2021. And that has been the news. Car design is a subjective thing. What is beautiful to some is plain ugly to others. Then there is the universally ugly vehicles like some of the older Sanyongs. Amongst the recent designs, the Audi A7 Sportback stands out as a beacon of elegance and style. Launched in late 2018, the second generation A7 Sportback combines the Audi qualities of smooth, powerful engine, sublime ride and handling and the convenience of a lift-back design for greater practicality. The pick for me is the 55 TFSI Quattro S-Tronic, with a 3-litre V6 mild hybrid turbo petrol engine, produces 210 kilowatts of power and 600 newton metres of torque. A 7-speed dual-clutch transmission drives all four wheels through the brilliant Audi Quattro system. It's equipped with a host of standard luxury, safety and driver assist features and is relatively value-priced from a bit over $133,000 plus the usual costs. I love the A7. It's simply a beautiful design. It makes a fantastic long-distance family tourer. I can imagine myself hopping in the A7 and driving to Cairns and simply enjoying the drive. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia. 
Well, a car that has received good praise from a number of areas is the Volvo XC40. We took one for a test, particularly the plug-in hybrid, full of technology. But is it uh, good-looking? And would you want to be seen in one? Who better to answer that question than Alan Zervis? G'day, Alan. David, how are you? Very well. We are talking here about a small SUV, not the smallest, but still not huge. It feels pretty small, uh, but inside they've used the space very well, so uh, I think it does what it says on the box. On the outside, would you define its looks as distinctive? Yes. Would you define that <laughs> as a good thing? <laughs> I found it a little bit... Uh, is confronting the right word? It uses sort of convex shapes, not markedly, but nonetheless it gives almost a little bit in the back of a bustle look where just under the window, it's, it, it not bulges out, but it's it just underneath that then, it just curves in slightly. You don't notice it from right behind, but it's one of those features. And the front grille just has a slight little bit of recession to it, a convex look to it that starts to make it look distinctive. Were you a fan of that? It jutted out quite a lot into the into the what we once called a bumper bar, but now, of course, it's just a cover. What about the headlights? Ah, that's called Hammer of Thor. So those little daytime running lights form this kind of hammer look, and they call it Hammer of Thor headlights. I think that's brilliant because, of course, Volvo is Swedish. And Swedish, you know, Vikings, horned hats, all that sort of stuff, and a hammer. Is that an option? <laughs> <laughs> well, like everything else on premium cars, it probably comes as part of a pack. You get the hat and the hammer together, as well as a sword and a big fur. I don't think it is at the moment, but we could mention it to it and, and ask for a royalty. What a great idea. We can put it in the back where the Space Saver Spare is. But it was the side that I thought looked very strange, especially around that back door area. You don't like back areas that reduce window space, do you? Well, I just see no need for it. It makes inside feel very, as you would say, claustrophobic. Inside is rather interesting, isn't it? Because the infotainment a screen in that is much more vertical than practically any other car we've tested. Probably the only one that comes close, I guess, is Tesla, and this is a, a little bit smaller than that. But it's flanked by a couple of big vents, so probably it's a good use of space. Yes, and it's a nine-inch screen, but more of that is vertical than it is horizontal, which again makes it a little different. It has an interesting drive system. The engine is a three-cylinder turbo 1.5 litre, and it's helped along by a plug-in hybrid. That's a little bit more than a normal hybrid, isn't it? I think so. You managed to get, uh, what, around 40 kilometres worth of pure EV uh, driving, which of course means uh, electric vehicle driving, so that if you manage to charge it from renewable power, technically speaking, your car would be running on the sun. Doing most of your day-to-day -day running about without polluting the environment, the local environment, through your petrol engine. Exactly. But if you do want to drive a longer distance, then the petrol engine is there to back you up. How did you find driving it? Steering is extremely light. I don't mind that. I'm used to, to it, but it doesn't have a lot in the way of feedback. And the ride is extremely firm. But uh, Volvos have been like that, I think, for a couple of decades. It's got big diameter rims, which, of course, mean low-profile tyres. I think it comes with 19, 20-inch wheels. I think you can even get 21-inch 
wheels as an option on them on the plug-in hybrid so that's going to mean that uh, it will feel the cracks in the road a little bit more tightly what about the feel of the brake pedal the brake pedal itself again has a very strange feeling the whole feeling is ethereal it feels like it only moves a few millimeters it probably moves more than that but it's entirely on your amount of pressure, almost like a pressure switch rather than a conventional brake pedal. I guess this has got plenty of technology from a safety point of view. Oh, well, it's a Volvo, David. It's got everything stuffed into it. But this particular car, it's got what they call bliss, blind spot uh, information. It has got rear cross traffic alert, front and rear collision warning, and even runoff road mitigation. Oh, yeah. How does that work? tells you if you're going to run off the road. (laughs) (laughs) I did see a Volvo video once. It wasn't in this car. It was on the XC90. And it will detect if you're about to run off the road and sets the car up for an accident. So it does things like close windows, close sunroofs, that kind of thing. But it tries to stop you, obviously, from having the accident in the first place. But, you know, just in case, just in case you've become incapacitated or or whatever. Passive things as well. So the whiplash protection system, uh, inflatable curtains and what have you. But it's got the passive protection that will help you if the worst comes to worst. Alan, always with some information, which I appreciate. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. And that's Alan Zervis, and we're talking about the small SUV, the Volvo XC40 plug-in hybrid. This is Overdrive across Australia. And it's feedback time, infotainment. We drove a test car this week that left us on the side of the road on a number of occasions. It didn't break down we stopped to try and work out the infotainment system. On one occasion, I spent at least 10 minutes trying to find AM radio. Next week, we will talk to Dean Oliver about his experience in coping with new cars, having had a background of well-used older technologies. If you have a feature of your car that took you years to master, or even a long time to find out that it existed, send us a message via the contact section of our website, drivenmedia.com. You're listening to Overdrive. Peugeot has a long and proud history in Australia, and the 308 is part of that. They now have the 308 GT line for the first time. It combines the sporty GT and GTI style with a 1.2-litre, three-cylinder turbo petrol engine, driving the front wheels through a six-speed sports auto transmission. This provides zippy rather than sporty performance. The 308 GT line is comfortable inside, looks stylish and is smooth and quiet to drive. It also features a host of standard items such as a panoramic glass roof, full LED headlights, fog lights and scrolling front indicators, 18 inch black diamond cut wheels, sports styling kit, exclusive interior trim and steering wheel, exclusive GT line exterior badging and sports mode red illumination for the instruments as well as multi-sport readouts. Peugeot offers a five-year unlimited kilometre warranty with roadside assistance and Peugeot price promise servicing. It's priced from $36,500 drive away for the GT line and is worth a look if you're after something just a little different. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. 
Toyota has recently released their latest model of the Hilux Ute. Ute's a big news, with the Hilux being the best-selling vehicle in Australia in some recent months. Now, Peter Elliott is the product design manager for Toyota Australia, and he joins us on the line now. Peter, thank you for your time. It's great to be here. Thank you, David. Now, we in Australia had some input into the design of the Hilux. Yeah, we did. We did. We we had the opportunity to uh, contribute to, I suppose, the the restyle of the the model that's been launched recently, um, and it it was a great um, opportunity, particularly because it means so much to Toyota this particular product, but also, I think, because we felt that we we really had something to offer as a as a design team, and also I think from a, a, a cultural viewpoint, I think we really understand our Utes and understand uh, our four-wheel drive pickups, that kind of thing. We know that into the market. So, yeah, it was a great opportunity. How does it work? How do you give input to a design process that has a number of teams in that around the world? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in in our case, it's particularly international because what we have is a setup where various departments are set up in different locations across the globe. So in this particular design exercise, the main engineering team, so I suppose the the group responsible for doing a lot of the production development side of the the engineering exercise, uh, are based in Thailand. Um, And we've got a very close relationship with those guys. So the design studio side is here um, in Melbourne, in Australia, and a lot of the uh, senior design managements, a lot of the guys that we liaise with in terms of finalising strategy and, and, and getting final approval of the design is in Japan, in Toyota City, just outside of Nagoya. So it's, it's truly a, a, a dynamic international relationship in that regard. Is it the one design for around the world or are there features for the Australian market versus other markets? For most of the range, it's the same globally. So when we were originally given the brief from Japan, it was to make sure that we were designing very much a global uh, ute or a global pickup truck. So with that in mind, we really had to make sure that we understood um, not only our market, which I think we've got a, a very good instinctive understanding of that, but we really had, had to understand how it varies in different parts of the world from Asia through to the Middle East, through to Europe, uh, South America, um, South Africa, etc. Let's have a look at the styling. The grill became very important. What were you looking for there? Well, this is one of the earlier sketches that then became successful in terms of being a part of the final selection for the theme sign-off. And from the very start, we all, and part of the design team here, we all started reproportioning, I suppose, some of the elements of the front end. So really, I'm talking about the, the size and shape of the grille, the headlamps, and then in turn, the architecture of the bumper that, that I suppose, envelops those key elements. So what we really wanted to do was make sure that the grill was pride in place. I mean, that is something that's almost like it's a central element on a on a pickup or a ute design that really has to speak to its core function, and that is to make sure that there's an appropriate amount of air getting into the cooling pack and and this vehicle with the you know tremendous power that it has will will be able to operate in all sorts of the harshest kind of conditions. And then how it kind of interlocks or relates to a lot of the headlamps around, they don't look 
completely independent. Do I see an emphasis in width here? that some of the old SUVs and so on had very almost bull-nose sort of fronts, that this emphasises the sort of width of the car a little? Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, designers play all sorts of optical tricks that you can use to emphasise, you know, what you believe is, I suppose, again, you know, paramount or fundamental to the to the core image of the vehicle. If you started looking at elements, so key features within a grille design or some of the surrounding components to emphasise width, for example, I suppose consciously or subconsciously that starts to bring conjure images or a belief around the vehicle looking very stable and looking like it's um, very sure-footed and looking like it's it's really sitting on its wheels very well. In, in the design business, we talk about stance a lot, and by stance we mean that if it, the vehicle's got a good stance, if the design's got a good stance, that the wheels are sitting in the right position in relation to the rest of the proportions of the vehicle, and it looks like it's not going to fall over easily, or as it goes round to the corner, it's going to look like it's very stable and very connected to the road. And these these utes, these pickup trucks, and the Hilux in particular, it's a very, very sure-footed bit of kit, so we really want to make sure that we, we uh, emphasise the design in that particular way. Well, you also, what you call the upper and lower bite-outs, this, this part yeah. here and here, that's important to the whole front look? It was particular to this particular design exercise because I suppose we call it like uh, interlocking elements. And by that we mean by creating some, some 3D to the surface and the way that it almost snaps over and embraces some of the grill elements actually makes the vehicle out of the design actually look even stronger. But at the same time, it actually gives it some really good kind of functional um, components. So that lower portion of the bumper, for example, that's to fulfil a a number of different tasks. Obviously, it's the first point of contact when you're going to extreme kind of approach angle kind of situations. But it's also first point of contact from a safety viewpoint when you're potentially impacting with another vehicle or with a pedestrian and that kind of stuff. So the way that's all been engineered and designed to to perform its function is, is particularly significant. The lights are interesting because, again, has modern technology given us this chance to be not just a big round full light? Obviously, that Mm. gives an almost, Mm. uh, not squinting, but certainly different perception. Has that been a power to the modern design? Yeah, I think that's a really good pickup, David. From our side, light technology has changed dramatically over the last decade. And if if we go back to a lot of the lamp designs that we would have been doing, you know, 10 years or so ago, we were very limited to either having more of a traditional halogen reflector kind of setup, or we had to work with some very big projector units that were quite limiting in terms of the package space that they would occupy behind a headlamp. And therefore, from an engineering packaging viewpoint, they're actually quite difficult. Whereas now the technology has developed that not only the light outputs, you know, incredible in terms of how much, how well these lights actually perform, but also the components have reduced so much in size that it gives the designers so much more flexibility to place a lot of those key functional elements within the area or the zone that belongs to the headlamp itself. So it basically gives us some license to explore many different ideas and actually look at different ways to actually develop the the core function of the lamp. Are you like an expectant father or who now has a young child 
when it's out there on the market? Do you watch it intently? Uh, we're we're pr- pretty uh, confident with the <laughs> with the product that we've um, we've produced here, and I'm extremely proud of being involved with Hilux. So I think it's it's not so much nervous. There's definitely a, a buzz or an excitement that's felt across the development team from the designers, the engineers to senior management worldwide. They're, they're extremely excited with when the new products kind of hit the market and, and wait to see the, the reaction from the you know the general public and from the journos, etc. I mean it's it's what you live for in many in, in many respects. You just can't wait to seeing that first advert or seeing the first analysis and kind of interaction with the product or the first time you see it coming the other way when you're going down the road is that you just get that that tingling feeling it's it's an absolute buzz and and i've been doing it for a while now and i thought that it would kind of wear off i haven't seen my first hilux on the road yet i'm just waiting to see that one and then i know i'm going to get that same that same buzz all over again just between you and me what will the next ones look like (laughs) <laughs> just we'll just pause the, rec- the recording and away we go <laughs> it's great to see peter and i really appreciate your time thank you very much uh, thanks david it's great to, great to have a chat and that was peter elliott toyota australia's manager of product design and the full interview is on our website at drivenmedia.com.au this is overdrive across australia And let's finally look at driver's licences. Unusual story. Who better but Brian Smith. Okay, Brian. G'day, David. A Tennessee woman went to update her driver's licence and went to the, the Department of Motor Vehicle, had a photo taken, and then a little while later in the mail came her driver's licence, which just featured as the photograph an empty chair. She was nowhere to be seen. It turned out not to be that she was a vampire and, and didn't sort of realise it, but um, but it was just the last photograph on the roll or in the that was taken for her ended up getting stuck on there and it appears the photo was taken after she'd finished. So uh, she was able to get a, a, a new licence with her own photograph in it. But interestingly, her own boss, uh, people seem to like this story, her boss, uh, when she turned up to work, had... Um, had indicated to her that uh, he'd possibly thought that the chair outside the office was her. Uh, instead, he, he'd waved at it this morning. <laughs> Complimented her for being there early, did he? Yes. I love your upholstery today. That's a, it's a lovely slipcover. If she is suffering from anxiety or low self-esteem, can she sue them? I mean, here she is. Mm. She's now afraid to go outside just in case someone might say that people can see right through her. <laughs> that these sorts of comments now have an element of reality because they've taken, well, assumed to take a picture when it doesn't show her there. I think think she's got grounds for a court case. Well, that's interesting, David. I I kind of thought of it, perhaps it was like the, the person at the Department of Motor Vehicle was making some kind of poignant comment about the road toll. Death on the roads. You have a one in 700,000 probability of this being your picture next year. Yes, the f- fleeting fleetingness of life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
What was the person who worked, wasn't it, in the one of the registry, road registry offices that wouldn't hand... No, it was at the marriage one, wouldn't hand out a marriage certificate to a gay couple. Oh, yes, that's right. Maybe she's trying to say, where will you spend eternity? Oh, yeah, or perhaps she just didn't like the woman's look or she didn't like what she was wearing. Um, <laughs> said, you know. yes. I've given you a makeover. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Put on this vanishing cream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, hang on. It's J.K. Rowling. It's the cloak of invisibility. Hang on. What's that written on there? H. Potter. <laughs> Five points to Gryffindor, David. All right, Brian. Well, I know someone who actually has pulled a funny face every time they've had their photo taken and you know, parted their hair in a weird way and has collected those and has now, with pride and joy, been able to display them. <laughs> but, of course, he did the right thing. He didn't smile. Ah, uh, yes. Brian, always good to talk to you. Catch you up next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Brian Smith, reflecting on some of the more absurdities that we get in life. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Zervis, Peter Elliott, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>